Welcome to the Anachronism Podcast. I'm your host, composer Gustav Hoyer. Welcome back to the Anachronism Podcast. Pleased to have you join. This episode will be the first of a new series I'll be kicking off that'll carry us through the summer months. I've taken a few weeks off to prepare this material. I think you'll understand why it took a little longer and the spacing was a little different than usual. Uh, I hope you had a chance to listen to my prior couple of episodes, an exploration of why we listen to music, and then my musical response to that with my album now out. I'd encourage you to find it on Spotify or Apple Music or Amazon, anywhere you get your digital music distribution. You can find my album Escaping Quarantine. And the whole idea behind that album is it's a response to the social distancing and some of the stay-at-home orders that we have assumed as a society in response to the coronavirus pandemic. And as you interact with that music, I hope it brings you good cheer. I hope it brings some joy. It's music written for the sheer fun of it. I hope your toe taps and uh, And then if you enjoy it, that you might consider doing me the honor of sharing it with your friends. Part of my mission as an artist is to share the work that I do with as many people as I can, hopefully folks who will enjoy it. And those of you who listen to this show, I rely on you to help me share with people you think might enjoy this. And if it's something that you feel brings value or blessing or richness into your life, Uh, I would be honored if you might help me share this work that I do with others and perhaps share some of that joy. That's the ultimate satisfaction for me is that this work and the creation of this music um, just brings delight or thought or depth or richness to those who encounter it. So with that, we're going to take a pivot. This is the first episode now of a series I'm calling The Golden Sparrow. And The Golden Sparrow derives its title from an escape room that I had in operation about a year ago. It was a musical escape room centered here in Fort Collins where I live. And the escape room was assembled of musical puzzles. The point of the escape room, in addition to the story and the experience, was to bring musical materials to the fore, and particularly things that we've talked about on this podcast, like rhythm and melody and timbre, or the color of a sound, all of these elements that comprise the the fundamental building blocks of music, I thought it would be interesting to make musical puzzles that would drive, as through the story, they would um, lead people, really, to encounter different musical elements that they might not otherwise interact with. This is in response to the encouragement of my friend Scott Lauman, who gives me a beautiful website and great branding and has helped me develop a, a set of fonts and colors, all things I'm really not capable of doing. He brings his great artistic skill to help me have a compelling website and all of that. And he challenged me to bring my musical storytelling up a notch and to take on storytelling in language and then marry it with my compositional efforts, which often have a narrative flavor. So this is uh, for Scott Lauman that we are going to pursue this story. The Golden Sparrow, A Journey into a Musical Escape Room by Gustav Hoyer. Part 1. 
There are some things about Fort Collins, Colorado that you should understand at the outset. I won't go into the whole history of the city, as that is not directly relevant to our story. However, there are some peculiar features of this small prairie town that made it the kind of place where the following events would happen. First among these are the special preservation of the past that the town has ensured in its historic area. The area, known as Old Town, has many structures that remain largely preserved from their original construction, both externally in their charming facades and internally with the layout of the interior rooms. It is the former fact that led me to be looking into purchasing an office building in Old Town, but it is the latter fact that led to the rather unexpected sequence of events that I relate here. A distinction that this small town wears with pride is that it is one of the two American towns that inspired that quintessential expression of Americana, Main Street, USA, in Disneyland. But, back to Fort Collins itself for a moment. In addition to its charming historic area, it was built upon land that is reputed to have a deep and dark spiritual history. Before the arrival of white American settlers, this land was traveled and trafficked by Native American tribes. With the rugged expanses of the Rocky Mountains to the west, Fort Collins sits upon land at the intersection of several major tribes, the Mountain Ute and the Prairie Cheyenne, Arapaho, Pawnee, and Kiowa tribes. Although the intersection of their commerce and conflict recedes into the unrecorded past, their long legacy of lived humanity soaks in the earth. It's not clear exactly how it relates to these events, but I am convinced that in the ground that Fort Collins sits upon, watered by the Cache-Laputa River, there ferments ancient mysteries that modern science cannot measure. There is something enchanted in the earth that makes this town irresistibly charming and deep beyond reckoning. It is this town, and in particular that historic district I previously mentioned, which provided the location for a recent business venture. As it happens, this little town and this particular part of it have seen abundant growth for the last many decades. The historic and artful charm of the city and the general agreeableness of its occupants have made Fort Collins a magnet for new residents. It is this growth that led to my involvement in the more mysterious side of this prairie town. The aforementioned Old Town was an area of special appeal for locals as well as visitors, and it was this same appeal that made it a desirable location for someone with an interest in purchasing real estate as an investment to explore its wares. The surfeit of interesting and historic buildings made it a place of continual appreciation, both aesthetically and financially. It was the financial appreciation that invited me to explore Old Town. I'm not a person of great means, but I believed that I could locate a more obscure building of historic interest, revitalize it, and become a landlord to the many small businesses that have developed in this community. I envisioned a historic exterior filled with modern comforts and amenities that would be attractive to an interesting coffee house, a bookseller, or an internet startup company. I spent the better part of a year driving around the area and looking into many properties from the street. I would stand on the sidewalk and peer in through the window on the old front door, you know, the small windows that occupy only the top half, 
or looking in through the larger display windows that faced the current pedestrian traffic that continuously passed through the streets of Old Town. Well, it was on one such reconnoiter that I discovered a rather out-of-the-way building. It was an older building that dated back nearly to the founding of Fort Collins. It was 25 Franklin Lane. The street ran directly through the center of the Old Town area, but this building was not at the center of the action. All the buildings that constituted the heart of Old Town had been owned and re-owned many times over the last 10 years as the area prospered and its reputation spread. 25 Franklin Lane, however, was a full five-minute walk and sat just outside the perimeter of what people currently viewed as the outer edge of the historic district. But the entrepreneur in me saw this as the perfect place to acquire a property that would be, in short order, annexed into the bustling core of energy in Old Town as its area of influence expanded out. I could invest a little bit into updating the electrical and freshen up the interior portion of the building, and I would be the proud owner of the hottest new commercial real estate in Old Town. It seemed perfect. Now the challenge was to acquire it at a favorable price. The building itself was not evidently for sale, but like most things in this part of town, I was certain it could become so if I asked the right people. And so I had. After a recent conversation with a friend, I received a lead on that property for which I had been angling. This friend, we'll call him Roger, sent me a brief note of introduction to a realtor associate of his who had just been engaged to represent a new listing for a historic building at 25 Franklin Lane. His email was brief and to the point. Thanks for the coffee last week. It was good to catch up on life and the family. In an odd coincidence, no sooner had we discussed your interest in 25 Franklin Lane than I heard from my friend Janine. She was just engaged this morning to represent it. She hasn't been in the building and it won't be ready to list for several weeks. But I called in a favor for you and she's willing to let you tag along to take a look. I told her I'd pass along her number so you could call her if you were interested. Seems like it was once owned by Elias Franklin himself. Good luck, Roger. Elias Franklin. I had heard his name several times in my years in the Fort Collins area and remembered that he had some historic position of note in the early years of Fort Collins. The fact that this was a historic building made it even more attractive for my business purposes. Anything connected to Elias Franklin was as good as gold. Although his name had fallen from the memory of most in my community, I took this as a sign that this old building would have been well made and was probably ample and gracious inside. The less I needed to update, the sooner I would be turning a profit from renters eager to have this building as their address. At this point, I decided to contact the realtor who was connected with the rental ad. Hello, this is Janine. Her voice was bright and energetic in the manner of high-earning real estate agents. Hi, Janine. I heard from a mutual friend, Roger, that you are representing 25 Franklin Lane for sale, and he may have mentioned that someone might be calling. Yes, he told me about you. Nice to meet you. Yes, it is an interesting property, and I haven't been in it yet myself. I had planned to head down there to walk around and take a look later this afternoon. 
I wouldn't normally have a prospective client join me for my first visit, but happy to help a friend. You can meet me at the building to take a look if you are free later today. That's great. I really appreciate it. I can be there around 3 p.m. if that works for you. Yep, that's great. I'll meet you on the street out front. Okay, thank you. I had a few hours before I would be meeting Janine, so I thought it would be good to arrive as well-informed as I could. I knew from prior experience with real estate agents that the burden would be on me to figure out why this building was still in an unimproved state in one of the hottest real estate markets in town. From my walk by the building, it did not appear to have been recently updated, and it was dark and seemingly unoccupied. Strange that I would not have noticed any way for a tenant to get into the building to occupy an office on the second floor. I noted this peculiarity and added it to the list of questions for Janine that I was drafting in my mind. I now returned to more internet research to see what background I could find on this building. The building itself had been built in the 1880s by Elias Franklin. This did not make this building unique. Mr. Franklin had been behind many buildings in early Fort Collins. It was this community presence that led to the naming of the eponymous Franklin Lane on which this particular structure sat. It happened that of the many structures that Franklin created, the majority were along the road that now bore his name. On one end, in the center of Old Town, sat the Fort Collins Opera House, which he was instrumental in financing. On the other sat 25 Franklin Lane, the structure at the heart of this story. As to Mr. Franklin's impact on the broader community, I discovered three interesting recorded accounts, which I include here. The first is Caractacus Haversham, a local historian, and this is from a 1931 gramophone transcription of an interview with the Fort Collins Historical Society. Fort Collins largely remained a hardscrabble farming town throughout the Civil War, as well as in the years immediately afterward. Folk mostly put down roots in Fort Collins for one of two reasons. They were trying their hand at farming beets along the river, or they were stationed at the fort and had no choice. Things began to change in the 1870s when a small cadre of entrepreneurs and businessmen began to pool their resources for investment in the town. Local Judge Hieronymus J., Wyoming rancher Richard McDonough, and engineer Elias Franklin represented the most dedicated and generous of these early investors. In particular, Elias Franklin's financial contribution to Fort Collins' development was unrivaled, and he was able to sponsor numerous local institutions thanks to his involvement in several of the young states' philanthropic fraternal orders. And this is Dr. Emily Clements. This is from a note about her work as a genealogist from an interview in the Fort Collins, Coloradoan, April 16, 1997. Well, through all of the genealogical work I've done for folks over the years, one of the constants throughout in each local family history is some sort of interaction with Elias Franklin. It wasn't enough to him to simply grow the town and invest in the infrastructure. He had a real, genuine involvement in people's lives, especially when Fort Collins was first beginning to really expand. 
There's dozens of accounts, which I've read, stating how Franklin would meet face-to-face with newcomers to sell plots of land or to arrange employment opportunities. The Larimer County Bank, which Franklin established in 1880, was reputed for having the lowest interest rate on business loans anywhere in the state, at least until Franklin's death in 1897. And here's author Thomas Abernathy from a chapter in his 2015 book, A History of the Arts in Colorado. The city's original opera house was uh, built by Mr. Elias Franklin in 1881. Although he made his money in ranching engineering, uh, Mr. Franklin was always a dedicated patron of the arts, and he invested just as much effort into cultivating the early Fort Collins art and music scene as he did into the town's zoning and platting. Uh, He truly conceived of the Opera House as a kind of social hub for the fledgling town and as an attraction which could help put Fort Collins on the map. This was just after statehood and dozens of tiny towns across Colorado were just beginning to to boom thanks to financial and infrastructural investment. Mr. Franklin remained instrumental in managing the Opera House's performances throughout his life, with performances including both the works of renowned composers as well as local productions. With the opening of the Orpheum Theater in town about a decade after Mr. Franklin's death, the original Opera House was bought out by several local businesses and subsequently ceased all performances. It was clear that Elias Franklin was a pillar of his community and that the Fort Collins I now inhabited was the fruit of his earlier labors. I was beginning to be enchanted by Mr. Franklin and the architectural fingerprints of his that stood today. This building at 25 Franklin Lane was a part of a connected history that I knew would have a strong appeal to renters and businesses if only its obscure lineage were better known. Historical richness like this would add a dimension of depth to discerning tenants and would almost certainly command a premium on rents. Having tapped into a wellspring of historical information, I continued to investigate the particular history of 25 Franklin Lane. From its construction, Mr. Franklin owned the building until his death in 1897. After his death, the building passed through the hands of only two more owners. Initially, the deed went to Mr. Franklin's heirs, three children whose lives took them away from small Fort Collins to more metropolitan settings. They sold it in 1938 to a recent German immigrant to the area. It was this transaction that set the tone for the other recorded transitions of this property. The buyer, one Wilhelm Karzensichner, had intended to turn the building into an apartment to house other arrivals from Germany. There was little activity in the now vacant property until July 1939 when Herr Karzensichner returned to Germany. With the start of World War II in September of that same year, Herr Karzensichner disappeared from record. The building remained vacant throughout the war, and it wasn't until June of 1956 that the assessor, having failed to receive any correspondence on past due property tax, was authorized to auction the property to pay the delinquent tax bills for 25 Franklin Lane. It was at this auction that the current owner of the property secured its deed. This next owner was no single owner at all. The building had been purchased by an organization called the Pan Chromatica Society. I had never heard of them before, 
and my efforts to search for them turned up no information beyond a mailing address that was a post office box in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Although I was curious about the organization, I decided to forego a continued digital investigation in favor of simply asking Janine, the realtor, about the current owners. I turned my attention from the owners to see if there was any record about what types of establishments had operated from that location. It seems that there was a string of small businesses of various kinds that had called 25 Franklin Lane home. While it was still the property of Mr. Franklin, it served as a professional office, which housed an accounting firm, a real estate brokerage, a doctor, a dentist, a tailor, and two attorneys, one who was of decidedly questionable reputation. By the time of Mr. Franklin's death, the building was largely vacant with the exception of the attorney and the tailor. With its acquisition by Herr Kartensichner, the remaining renters removed their operations out of the building to leave it completely vacant by the time Herr Kartensichner left for Germany. It remained vacant throughout its tax lien period and only saw sporadic tenancy resume after its acquisition by the Panchromatica Society. From what I could determine from the scanty ephemera of long-failed businesses from before the Internet age, it seems that there were no tenants of any kind who stayed longer than one year. I was unable to discover any common reason, but it was a straightforward fact. These businesses would come and go, and I found scant trace of any that survived in operation after they left 25 Franklin Lane. Strange indeed to see such an attractive property fall into disuse, but this building was not the only in Fort Collins to have been largely vacant during the, quote, space age years from the late 1950s through the 1990s. Most of the commercial and residential energies of the town had expressed themselves in an aesthetic wrapped in glass and steel. The stately, red-tinged stonework of Victorian-era Colorado architecture had come to be seen as a relic of an irrelevant past. It was not until the town began to cultivate a refurbishment of the historic section that the sister structures to 25 Franklin Lane were awakened from 40 years' slumber. It was in the late 1990s that many older buildings saw renovation and new occupancy. Indeed, it was this very push of commercial invigoration that put me of a mind to become a real estate speculator in 25 Franklin. As small businesses and artists began to seek out space in these stately stone residents of Fort Collins, the energy and style of the area began to fill with new life. Many older buildings secured full occupancy and rents naturally rose. This spread outward along pedestrian thoroughways to define the ever-increasing area of Old Town, which was now poised to claim the full length of Franklin Lane. However, in spite of all of this attention and growth, 25 Franklin had remained free of any obvious occupants. In fact, it seems to have been in a multi-decade hibernation that dated all the way back to the passing of Elias Franklin. Although this was noteworthy, I assumed that it was simply the expressed desire of the current owners that it remained shuttered from use. I made another note to bring this up with Janine, and in so doing, noted the time as well. As I had disappeared into a multi-pronged expedition into the past of this building, so too had my available minutes passed beyond use. 
it was time to head to 25 Franklin Lane, where my many curiosities would hopefully be met with satisfaction. Having parked my car in a nearby city parking lot, which until recently had been free, I approached the four-story stone building from the west side. The charm of this old lady, languishing in the Colorado afternoon sun, beguiled me immediately. As it was later in the afternoon, the sun shone full upon the side and revealed the beautiful details of the mason's art. To build with the precise stonework of this structure today would be exorbitant. In contrast to a modern building, it lacked massive expanses of glass and instead featured the smaller windows of a past age. Each window was draped, which made it impossible to see inside. The street level had two large glass display windows that still bore the marks of their last occupants. One, a long-gone drugstore called Rudy's, and the other, a ladies' boutique called The Lace Glove. Both display areas were empty and hoary with the dust of many years' neglect. Janine stood on the sidewalk and watched as I approached. I knew from the tone of her voice on the phone that she would arrive early and be the one waiting for the other. Hi, Janine Roussel. She extended her hand and met mine with a firm, decisive grip. Nice to meet you. Thanks for making time to show me the office. Sure, no problem. You caught me between closings. Today was really the only time I could get over here anytime soon. Let me unlock the door here. She fumbled with a key ring that she unceremoniously produced from her oversized leather handbag. I really should take a look first. With these old buildings, you can't ever be too sure of what you'll find inside. Truthfully, it's nice to have someone along in case there's anything or anyone inside here that shouldn't be. Didn't you walk through it with the owners, I asked? Well, normally, yes, but this building is owned by a French group, and I've only met them on video chat. The keys were in a bank lockbox, and I just picked them up a few hours ago. The front entrance of the property was a single-width door. The door was likely original to the building as it showed signs of surviving decades of wind and sun. Three small glass windows invited light through the top portion of the door. Are there any tenants in this building? I asked. Not right now. The current owners of the building have sat on this property for years and for some reason never did anything with it. It's actually owned by a French charity organization. I'm not sure why they bought it in the first place, but they have owned it for more than 50 years. There have been some tenants throughout that time, but never more than a few at a time. And for many of those years, the building's been empty. I was engaged to help open it up about three weeks ago. I think the organization is struggling financially, and they're trying to figure out how to survive. Hmm. I was going to ask about the history of this place. I did some searching on my own, and it's a little mysterious. I guess, but a lot of these old buildings have been asleep around here. Nobody had the will to tear them down, and now their time to shine may have finally come. Janine wrestled the key into the lock and opened the arthritic door. We walked into the entry hall, which was gloomy, but not dark. The floor had not been swept in many years, and a thick layer of northern Colorado prairie dust rested on every surface. Light poured in from a window in the door at the opposite end of the building, where the back door faced the alley behind. It was still and quiet inside, and I suspected that if Janine had closed the front door after we entered, I wouldn't hear a sound from the street outside. 
I'm going to leave the front door open, she offered. This place could use some air. If she was unsettled by the air or setting, you'd only know it by the subtle crease that appeared between her brows. She kept her game face on and maintained a nonplussed image of confidence. The owners told me that there is an office on the second floor that has some documents I'll need. I guess it was once Elias Franklin's office, when he owned the building. I dutifully followed her as she went up a narrow staircase that ran along the right side of the entry hall to the second floor. This staircase opened out into the middle of the second floor hall. To the left, the front of the building, two door frames faced each other at the end of the hall. To the right, there were likewise three sets of facing doors that closed upon what I gathered were six rooms, three on each side. At the end of the hall, past these doors, was a dusty window that looked out onto the alley at the back of the building. Stepping into the hall, Janine immediately turned to her left to lead me to the front of the building. On the left side was an opening to a set of stairs that went up to the next floor. We turned to the right to face the entrance into the office she had just mentioned. As she used a second key from the keyring, I noted a tarnished nameplate on the door. Elias Franklin. Wow, you don't come across something like this very often. Yes, Elias Franklin, she replied. He built this building. She worked her magic with the key ring again as she negotiated the lock on the office door. I watched quietly. I had learned long ago that in a negotiation, it was best to listen much and speak little. I resolved to let Janine share as much as she would and not give away the extent of my own research. Perhaps she detected an air of anticipation as she looked at me and said, History is money in Old Town. Again, I nodded, a little deflated that she should so easily parry my first unspoken negotiating position, but I rallied. Yes, but selling history takes even more money. She chuckled as the door opened, and I got my first glimpse of a room that would haunt my memory forever after that moment. That concludes part one of The Golden Sparrow, a musical escape room. Join me next time for part two as we continue our adventure into the fictional world of a musical escape room I shared and implemented here in Fort Collins about a year ago. I'd love to hear from you about this podcast and future podcasts as well. I do the Anachronism podcast to share with you my love of music and I hope I'm able to enrich your life and open your mind to new ways of listening to music and perhaps finding a joy that I've had uh, in music for yourself. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.